Welcome to this special bonus episode with Peter Backman and me, Michael Tinkser. Peter and I have chosen to come together to create a series of conversations to help the leaders in the food and drink industry to get better out of the starting blocks. Recovering from a pandemic nobody wanted and nobody was ready for. We don't have all the answers, but we wish to share our observations and insights, which can help leaders to make better decisions about their strategies, tactics, as they navigate through the time ahead. The topics in the conversations are broad. We're covering big picture overview of the current situation in hospitality, the staffing crisis, what's driving the delivery market, death to landlord, supply chain crisis, our view in a crystal ball for the coming six to 12 months and much more. We would love to hear what you have learned from these conversations. But now let's get started. Welcome back to uh, the second lap we promised you back in March. Wow, it's already been, Peter, it's already been quite a time. There's a lot that hasn't happened. And as you said, don't ask me what's happened. So we're not going to go into into that today, Peter. But welcome again to, to the show, Peter. I'm glad you wanted to do a second lap with me here uh, out of the starting blocks. Oh, well, uh, it's great to be with you, Michael. Uh, we've been... Um following COVID and its impact on the restaurant sector, more or less since the start. And, you know, I'm, I'm really valuing the opportunity to talk to you about it and update you, update me, update the listeners. Every time we talk, we both talked about, you know, the, the very big picture on where we are now. And then we've always given our, you know, two cents on, on, on the future. Uh, and we probably got a lot wrong, uh, but we probably got something right as well. And nobody knows because we're still in this coming back is thing still a, a reality for, for our industry. And there's some, some big dates coming up uh, with furlough ending, VAT, and we're going to talk about that. And there's some dynamics going on that's really is you know, seeing a lot of change in, in the industry. There's always been a lot of change, but it's going so rapidly fast right now. But if we um, we start out, actually, our idea with this was that we actually wanted to give operators some insights so they could make better leadership decisions uh, from, from how we saw the world, from what we are observing, not just in the UK, but globally as well uh, in, in the things we're involved in. So... Should we start from from the from the top, Peter, and talk a bit about the economy? What's going on in in the economy? We've been fueled with a lot of money from from the government, and some of that is coming to an end now. Um, but what what is your views on uh, the economy in general and how it's connected to the food sector? Yeah, well, I'm not I'm not an economist, so I I feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about it in uh, sort of on its own. But, the, but I think there are certain things that um, seem to be coming through to me anyway. One is it, the, the economy has bounced back in this country and in many other countries faster than um, a lot of people anticipated, which is, which is really good. And of course, that's brought along with it all these shortages of product shortages um, added to food price inflation, um, shortage of hauliers uh, and so on, uh, and interestingly, those are international issues. Um, uh, it's not just in the UK that we're we're suffering from um, uh, distribution issues, for example. So um, my view about the economy is: yes, it, it it's coming back, which is good. Um, it's bringing some 
problems with it, which are not so good. And it's sort of setting the scene for a, a world in which we will ultimately not be bothering too much about COVID. We'll be worrying about the economy. We'll be worrying about wages. We're all those sort of things. And they'll be coming back. So I think from that sense also, it's probably quite good. It's a, a bit of a harbinger of some sort of normality. Yeah, and, and it's so interesting. It's uh, almost like this hockey stick economy that's coming back, that's actually creating all these issues backwards. And I can remember there was like different pictures. There was actually economists that believed that we're going to have this kind of bounce back, almost like Second World War effect after the pandemic because our financial system are so advanced compared to that time will go even faster. Uh, and I agree with you. That's what you've seen, and it's created all these challenges for for operators. Now, you you mentioned you know the supply chain and the staffing crisis is also an element of that because your revenue is climbing up quicker than you can actually hire people back into the businesses. And then, the, of course, um, it's also the the mentality. It feels like when you go outside, and we talked a bit about before we started recording that people feel a bit like normality, if we call it, or post-pandemic, you know, the mask is gone uh, and we it seems like traffic is back and, you know, we, we are moving around again. Is that also the view you have, that the world is back in some kind of way in, and then there will be local restrictions sometimes? Yes. Yeah, so I, 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 yes, there is a, as I think there's a strong desire to get back to where we were, to a world that we, we knew, um, we probably, for for a whole reason, a bunch of reasons which we could, could go into, um, a whole bunch of reasons I think would suggest that we won't, it won't actually be the same, but it'll be fairly similar. But what I see happening right now, and, and I suspect you do too, um, I, I've been going into central London, the West End of the city, at least once a a week for the last half dozen weeks and even over that time I have noted more people um, coming back. Um, I was in town yesterday and it wasn't as crowded as um, I remember but it was much more crowded than even six weeks ago. Um, Interestingly um, most of the people I saw were relatively young people I, I i you know if i had to put an, an age limit i would say 40 most most people were under 40 and i say most i'm probably talking about 90 percent of them so um i don't know whether that is because older people don't want to go back uh, or whether they're not going back to the office in the same numbers that the younger people are there are things happening that we, you know, we we're not necessarily fully aware of yet, but we are we are going back. We're going back. I think. Yeah, and I I have had the same kind of experience and hear that from people in London as well that there is some kind of activity returning to the the office in London and London is very dependent on like tourism as well. We're here in the UK. Um, where you know London is a financial hub, it feels like some of that life is coming back in, but it, it feels not as so high in numbers as it was uh, post pandemic or pre pandemic. Sorry, um, but what about you know the office? And we talked about it before. You have talked about it in your newsletter, Peter. 
that's quite an important thing for London that there's some kind of normality coming back to the office when you think about city center operators catering and so on and so on it is and and i think we we will probably be talking about this when we get to lap five and six and seven i think we'll still be talking about it um what i see happening is yes people are going back to work there's an awful lot of talk about hybrid working um making people come back to work and so on um where that actually ends up by uh, you know how it actually ends up in in terms of numbers of people in working in central london offices and as you say i it is a central london phenomenon especially um where it ends up i'm not quite so sure but i think we will certainly be going through a phase for the next 18 months and it might extend forever where the number of people in the offices is measurably down on what it was before. If I have to put a number on it, I would say 20% down on the basis that it's going to be one day a week when you don't go into the office, which is 20%. So at that level, numbers will be 20% down, um, which makes operations like sandwich bars and coffee shops uh, it puts them on on the margin. If their business is down twenty percent, they're not a lot aren't going to be able to survive. So some will close down, um, which means that if twenty percent of them close down, then what is left is enough business to keep the others going. And these numbers don't work out in that neat way, but that is what's going to happen. So we will see closures. You can already see it. You know, boarded up coffee shops or coffee shops that are just obviously closed and unlikely to open. You you can see them all over the place, unfortunately, in central London. And I think also the issues about staff catering, that's another issue because a contract caterer needs a certain number of people to feed. And if they're not being fed, then their business isn't profitable. And again, you know, the, the 20% argument I think works um in that world as well so if numbers are down 20 percent, and i fully expect them to be down that number maybe even more um for quite some time i guess the the, the long there are longer term issues um about this as well um which are likely to um mean that the the nature of city centre catering in its broader sense is different. I don't know what you think. I, I think you. that's also what I've heard, even because uh, I'm involved in the catering world uh, in, a, in, in a project, and uh, this is what we see in here, even the big ones. This is what they're saying as well. It's not, and they have uh, massive issues with uh, getting a model working because it's not based on you can cut let's say it's very conservative 20%. I think it's it's going to go deeper than that because there's an element, of course, that you would like to get people together as many days as possible for, for company culture. But the reality is that people are maybe not sticking up to that. They're going to go and find a job somewhere else because it's not just truck driver we are missing. We are missing 
workforce in general to support the growing economy in different sectors. So again, you as a CEO, you will not force people into work, even if the health situation is becoming more controllable, you would think about the long-term value of keeping your people on board uh, and not trying to force them back into the office and try to find a midway. And it could go down to three days, is my guess, for many companies, three days in the office, two days at home. Yeah, we can talk. We can talk about those numbers till the cows come home. We'll we will see what actually happens, won't we, in the, over the next few months? Yeah. Um, I, I think an associated issue here is though that there are some people who feel they want to work in an office, or and there will be some people who feel they don't want to work in an office. There will be some bosses who feel that they need everybody to come to work, and there'll be other bosses who are fairly relaxed about it. So, are we going to find two types of company? Um, um, populated by two types of people. I've, I think we're going to see something around those lines. I don't know what what they will be like. And the implications for the food service market, well, I don't know, because it will very much depend on the numbers of each of those types and where they're located and so on. But I think it's something to definitely to be keeping an eye on over, over the years. Yeah, and especially for, for operators that is very dependent on that type of traffic uh, which uh, commuters brings back into not only London, but Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, wherever you are in, in, in a bigger city. Um, another thing, the health situation. We said it's getting better, you know, um, vaccination rate is going up here in the UK. It's quite high compared to other places. It's happening, you know, around the world and the needle is moving on vaccination. Um, but again, uh, I read and listened to a podcast with uh, operators in New York where you see this Delta variant now starting really to disrupt their businesses again. Uh, and uh, Danny Meyer, one of the uh, big, big uh hospitality CEOs, you know, uh, founder of Union Square Hospitality and Shake Shack have now said that you both as a customer and employee, you are, you, you can only be welcome in our organization or locations if you're vaccinated and have a passport, because he thinks that that's, that's the way forward to, in a way, level out the business and take some of the uncertainty out of running businesses and dealing with COVID. What what is your your thinking about that, uh, Peter? Do you think we we have some surprises coming, as well uh, with Delta variant and? Well, um, although I I I like many many people have pontificated about vaccines and and viruses and become a, a so called expert. Of course, I know very very little, but I think what what I'm finding interesting is how much um, emphasis is being placed in the U.S. on the Delta variant. Uh, where it is still a relatively um, aggressive uh, and, in some senses, novel um, var uh, variation. In this country, we went through our Delta uh, variant um, crisis at the beginning of the year. So um, I, I don't think there's a direct read across from the States to here on that score, just like there isn't a direct read across on so many other things as well about the US. Um, I think in this country, um, I, I sort of sense that we're, we're 
we're sort of learning. We, we've learnt how to deal with with the virus mentally as well as physically and societally, um, and it's going to going to require tweaking, particularly if things do go um, a bit pear shaped again. But overall, um, I think we 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 have found a, we are finding a way of coping with it. Um, Sure, there will be um, need for vaccine passports in certain places. That That is a political issue which seems to have been taken. I mean, nightclubs in Scotland, probably, my understanding is, in this country as well. Um, so um, how we react to changes is still a little bit um, uncertain. But overall, I'm... We, we seem to be learning to live with whatever we've got. Now, that's not to say that there isn't going to be another variant. I, I believe they're up to mu now. I don't know my Greek well enough to say what the next letter is. Maybe you do. But, but that one may be even worse than Delta. Then who knows? Exactly. Yeah, who knows? And I think I think it's, 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 you're, you're actually right about that. And also, I agree with that. It also feels like now COVID has become part of operators' life, they can easily, uh, there's, no, there's a bit more a known factor and there is systems in place to deal with it when it comes and revenue streams to turn on, even if it's just come. And that, that's the interesting thing. Um, people have been out a lot eating over the summer since we went out of the, the lockdown methods and that has been full on, very busy and, you know, supply chain issues. We talked about the staffing crisis hasn't made it easier for operators. Um, but are they still that keen to go out, Peter? Uh, are they, are they, are they, after they've gone back to work and the summer holiday is gone, have, have, are we seeing drops in numbers? I think that is a testing, going to be a testing time because the summer has benefited from the, you know, post-lockdown surge, um, people really wanting to go out. Not everybody, I have to say, not everybody, but most people. Um, there's The weather has been fine, really fine on some days, which has done wonders for, for, the, for restaurant numbers. And we've also had the staycation boom as well. You know, people because they haven't been abroad, have been spending their time in this country, probably going, uh, staying in a hotel somewhere, or at least visiting family and friends in other parts of the country, making it a holiday, going out to eat. So that has boosted the market as well. And all, all those things have, have done well um, for the eating out market, as I see it. What happens when the weather gets colder, when people aren't staycationing so much, when, you know, the lockdown surge fades away? What happens to the numbers? Um, will they be where they would have been um, if we didn't have the pandemic or will they be below? I don't know. My guess is they won't be above. I think you're quite right, and I think already um, there was there's been some indication that as uh, tourists are not here, it's already coming faster because you don't have the the European traveler here in most of September as well. Um, 
and uh, you will see more people retrieve to their homes again and, and doing uh, cooking at home, both with meal kits and also doing their own food. They're quite confident, many people, in, in cooking themselves. So I think you will see uh, uh, over the winter, you will see more people also doing things at home, um, and especially depending on how the situation is with the virus, how it's developed and how nervous are you about it. Uh, and I think also there is a, a money challenge at some point for people start think about money because they've been lots of people have had you know a lot of extra spare cash now they need to maybe start using their commuting uh, costs will go up again the other things happening and you may be nervous about the future because you don't know what's going to happen as we go into the uh, the last quarter of the year where there's a lot of these support mechanisms that disappears in society from the government yeah, I, I agree. And and you've got to overlay on, on top of that um, uh, uncertainty at the operator with the operators as well, because, you know, on October the 1st, th there is a new environment. There's no more furlough scheme for them. There's no uh, well, the, the VAT is going up from five to twelve and a half percent. And, you know, both of those will have an impact. When the furlough scheme finally comes off, anybody who is still on furlough, their employer is going to have to make a decision whether to employ them or, or make them redundant. The numbers on furlough at the moment, I'm not quite sure what they are, um, but because the latest numbers are only from July, um, when they were uh, something, I'm just uh, something of around about. Um, one and a half million people were on furlough at that time, which is about 5% of the total UK workforce. So um, that number will have come down. If they were all to be made redundant, which I doubt, then it, it is a, um, it's going to be a measurable percentage, but not a, not a huge ground-shaking percentage. And it's obviously going to be very unfortunate for the people involved. So... What the overall um, impact of that is, um, I, as a non-economist, are not really able to say, except that um, there will be more unemployment. Um, and that means that there will be less people uh, wanting to eat out or able to eat out. The numbers may be relatively small, so the impact may be fairly small. But the other issue, of course, is the VAT increase. And I've got some views about that, but I, d I don't know whether you've got any thoughts about the end of the furlough scheme. Yeah, and it, it is interesting because if you take our industry, of course, some operators, because of their operating model, if they're especially catering, would might still have some people on furlough. But I think most restaurant operators and people with leisure, they probably brought back all the people they could. And now they only, if they have anyone furloughed, is the question about, they are maybe in another country, have difficulties to come back here, and there's maybe uh, an HR game going on, if that's actually an employee that's going to stay with the business as they go forward and as furlough come. So I think, you know, it's not even going to help, you know, the furlough scheme. There's a lot of people that have talked about earlier in the summer, and I haven't heard it recently, that's going to help on the staffing thing. I actually think it's not going to do much in numbers. Uh, because people have decided to leave the industry when it comes, even if they're furloughed. And I saw 
I don't have this number from the UK, but I saw in the US, and I don't think it's very different in the UK, like 50% of people who works in the industry pre-pandemic have decided either they have left or they will soon leave the industry. And it goes across all different operator types uh, because they have found out there's a different life. And that's that we come back to the we will come back to the staffing crisis in a moment. But I think that's the interesting thing with the furlough. I don't think it's going to give any relief in a positive way to operate. I just think it's going to be a very admin heavy burden to deal with whatever you have left on your your books, and you have to make a decision as well. It could be some corporate employees you need to make decisions about, uh, and that's individual for every operator. So yeah, but the VAT is interesting because I agree with you, Peter. That's probably one of the things that's going to have massive impact because that bill has to be paid. You know, there's no way around that. That's a very hard deadline on that bill to be paid. Yes, I'm, but but. Um... When when it was reduced from twenty percent to five percent, um, the the uh, the vast majority of operators didn't reduce their prices. Not that there was much business around, but they didn't reduce the prices. In other words, they kept the money, which, to be fair, was the government's objective at the time. It's to in, uh, introduce liquidity and, and working capital into into the sector. So you could argue that, you know, they've already got the VAT in their prices and shouldn't be doing anything about it. Um, But that's not going to be the case. People are going to say, right, we're now at ground zero or wherever we are, and we're going to have to increase our prices by 7.5%. So... That and that will be necessary in order to protect our our um, profitability as it stands at the moment. However, can operators afford to increase their prices by that amount? Will customers buy? Um, right now, they probably would. Is my guess. Uh, um, there's an air of inflation around people are sort of expecting prices to be higher so um from that perspective um it might not be um a bad move however i i also think that that feeling that uh, um, of expectation of price rises may fade away quite quickly that means that um, operators who have increased their prices may start to find that actually they don't really stick. Um, what customers will do is either go to a cheaper place or choose cheaper items on the menu to compensate. So you can raise, you can raise your prices by 7.5%, but the customer may still spend the same amount of money. So, um, you know, you do the maths and, and you work out you're making less profit. So... Um, I'm not saying any of that's going to happen, but those those sort of things will be happening. Yeah, and I guess also that, you know, maybe consumers as they go in the first time will not recognize uh, it before they get the bill. And then they think, wow, that was actually quite a substantial amount compared to last time we were out. And then people start thinking about, I think we, we need to think about when we're going out. To eat. And that's already here, I guess. Uh, people are starting to be more 
cautious about their their spend in a way because we we all know there's uncertainty ahead and when we know there's uncertainty we always spend less and i think you know also you have to put into account even if they i don't think they have been able to save a lot of that money they have for that that that's been spent on keeping the business alive and then you have raising costs to staff you have raising supply chain costs you have lost sale because you couldn't you know, i was in a in a mcdonald's uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, and uh, i noticed that half the menu was not in was not available uh, at that time and there was a lot of disgruntled customers because they don't understand why is there no milkshake why there's no coca-cola and that's because there's not enough truck drivers to to bring it to the door and then probably some red tape around brexit as well still having an impact if you're taking it over the border um so so all these things have at additional cost at some point that will hit the operator and i don't think they can win that in 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 just increasing prices at some point there's a a glass ceiling for what you can charge for a meal in a restaurant even though i believe prices should go up to deliver better food quality into restaurants and so on yeah i i i agree with you and actually going back to your earlier points there's all this uncertainty around um, and it's probably going to build over the next few months. Um, we, we may want to come on to Christmas because that may be an interesting time. But if you move beyond Christmas, I think these issues that we're, we've just been talking about for the last few minutes, they will start to fade away into the background um, and operators and the market generally and consumers will be feeling um, that, that this, there's a new um, new set of rules around regarding um, how much to pay, uh, what to expect on the menu and those sort of things. And um, we'll just adjust. So in six months time, which it will be early early into the new year, I think what we've just been talking about will they won't be an, a memory, but they will be less important. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually agree with that. But also, we have another thing that is that uh, we are, you know, it's this onset thing about the debt crisis. We talked about it before with the landlords, you know, that hasn't, you know, it's still playing in the background and it's not, maybe not as often in the media it was pre the summer, but I think that will come up again as we move on. That's again an, an interesting play in the sector. What all that's what's going to happen here, and what are the landlords going to do? I guess, I guess the landlord have the power card here. Yeah, well, of course, the government introduced new um, rules um, earlier this year about the debt moratorium uh, and um, landlords not being able to be aggressive aggressive in in getting their money back and all those sort of things. They, they changed the rules a bit. But all that is not due to come to an end next March, whether or not it does or whether it gets kicked down the road for another six months and then another six months, um, I, I don't know. But um, rent uh, overhang is, is an issue and landlords, they're in business to make, a money, that, to make money themselves. Um, aren't going to um, be able to sit quietly for forever. They, you know, they're going to need 
um, some of the money to be paid back. You know, some of it has been paid back, but there's a lot that hasn't. And I, I think, you know, that's where the uh, well, quite a lot of activity will be taking place in the new year, perhaps replacing driver shortages and VAT increase and so on. Yeah, because also I guess that, you know, for, for, for operators that has this hanging over them, it's also a, a question of how, you know, attractive are they for investment if they need that from uh, uh, an investor or capital to come into the business to develop it or taking it forward. And I guess that's also the big question. Is this actually, you know, something that really can hinder many operators actually to 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 grow or to develop themselves for where they are now because they can't get in new investment because as an investor you would look at that situation and say that's risky that can be the closure of the business yeah you make you make some good points there uh, i mean it's easy to be sitting on the operator side of the fence and saying landlords are really um dreadful people all they're interested in is making money when in fact calls fundamentally they're in business like everybody else and also if you didn't have landlords you wouldn't have property so they are a necessary evil um they've got to be earning their money uh they've got to do it in in a way of you know being good citizens i think most of them do uh, but the, the the fact that rent needs to be paid is is an issue for for um for the restaurant industry and it also goes along with business rates and so on. There's a whole load of property costs, which I think we talked about last time anyway. These are the the fixed costs that a restaurant needs to contemplate. And they can be typically 10%, maybe 20% of the income, which is a huge amount of money if you haven't got any income coming in. Yeah, and that's going to be the interesting. What are what is actually going to happen with the consumer as well, and uh, in connection with that uh, as well, moving a bit away from the landlords uh, again because it's it's a bit ahead in time, and we'll probably come back to it in lap three or four. Um, the staff, uh, the staffing crisis, we're going to come back to in a second. Also, thinking about before you talked about prices has to go up. What are the operators going to do when maybe let's say that the customers don't turn up to the door? And they are staying at home, or they're changing behavior, spending less. Are we going to see this heavy discounting coming back? We had some years ago in the industry, which uh, didn't help the industry much. Discounting is never a good thing, and I know we both believe in discounting is the worst thing you can start doing for as a business. Well, yes, but it's it, it's. I think it's going to come back um, when businesses feel that, that that is the solution to their their um customer problem or their non-customer problem it, it it's an obvious thing to do um and you know in some sectors it, it actually worked uh, the, the the pizza market because the cost of goods on the, on the product is relatively small that market can absorb um discounting um, others find it much more difficult, um, but you know, I I don't think discounting, even if it brings customers in and even if it keeps your revenue up, it also debases your brand, and that is something that I I think a lot of companies just really can't afford. 
Yeah, and I think that's the key thing is the devaluing your brand in a way, and the starts becomes that people will not go to your to your location if there's not an offer, and it almost become equal with that, and that's actually that's when it becomes really bad. And you know, there's you know, Pizza Express definitely had that challenge uh, some some years ago that people would always ask, there must be a there must be a coupon somewhere uh, before I go, um, and and every every time you were losing your profit on that visit. I mean, where, where I'm noticing uh, discounts is in the delivery space at the moment. Um, Uber have been running a, um, a, 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 a discount offer of 25% off your next 10 meals from Uber. Um, admittedly, they've all got to be taken within the next eight days. But, you know, if if you can stomach it, you can get 25% off practically all your meals for a week it's not bad that's a big discount yeah and who is paying that discount is that then uber or is it the the operator you you tell me i think i think it's both and talk about delivery market i know you that's one of your your key things you talk about and look into and all over the world and uh, one of the the interesting things i've seen as well besides i've seen the discount i also see now new york is starting to put rules about how much commission these third-party platforms can take from the operators. And they're talking about a 25% cap. That's the highest you can take. Um, do you think that's something that's going to happen across the world? You will start seeing, you know, you know, there will be rules, regulations on the delivery market saying this is the max you can charge in commission? I think it's a, a very complicated answer or there are a lot of things to be borne in mind when you when you look at that. Uh, clearly, uh, a twenty five percent cap benefits the restaurant. There's an argument that that says, well, the thirty thirty five percent that the delivery aggregators typically charge is um, just too much. If you're right trying to run a business and you have to give away a third of your income to somebody else. You know that that's very difficult when you've got fixed costs and and employee costs and so on. So th- there is there is a, um, a a good case for capping it, and twenty five percent still seems a lot of money on, in those terms. Uh, on the other hand, um, the delivery aggregators, of course, just struggle to make money. You know they they if they capture your order and then do the delivery, they struggle to make money. Um, they're losing money. Uh, if you then say, well, you can actually only, you can earn less money, uh, then they're going to be even less profitable. So uh, at that level, you you don't necessarily have to feel sorry for the aggregators. You just got to f- say, well, you know, they can't operate. And then the customer uh, um loses any benefit because customers are driving the delivery market customers want the service and if they if there is if there isn't the supply if the aggregators are not around then the customer is deprived of that service so i think you know that there is a whole range of interlinked arguments going on or potentially going on where the where the um where any limit comes down, whether there should be a limit and where it comes down, 
I'm not sure. I think there will be pressure around the world for a cap, but whether it actually is is um, applied in practice or its level, I I would still leave um, open. My guess is, if I had to put money on it, is that we won't see um, delivery caps in the majority of places. Yeah, because it's interesting because it's also it's not according to sometimes the free market kind of thinking as well. Um, but the interesting thing as well, when you think about these aggregators, Peter, is that, you know, even they've had uh, some really good years now, probably 20 million a months and still growing. Delivery market is still a, a, a growing thing uh, across the UK. They're still struggling to actually to create this, you know, profit they need to show that it's a viable business, even though all this demand and consumers want this service. So I guess there's a, I guess with any business model, there's a reality where people say, when when is profit coming? That's the investors, I guess. They will at some point saying we we at some point you have satisfied the market. You can't acquire any more market shares, and there's no more growth to go for, and and the business model is still not breaking even or making a profit yes well i I, you know i think that there are some big issues um global um objectives uh going on here as well um you know one could be well let's try and control the whole food supply chain because food is the largest category of product that in the world let's capture as much of that as we can um, and we can do that through delivery, through running um, uh, factories, through um, the the distribution chain, all of those things. We could try and own as, as large chunks of that. So that's one global um, uh, potential. Another one is, well, if we can become the one delivery company that operates around the world, we'll have lots and lots of uh, economies of scale and money will arrive. So that's another game that your um, game plan that you you can uh, put forward. So we could be uh, still in the foothills of a revolution in delivery that we don't yet necessarily understand. And probably nobody does. Nobody has a real plan because there are so many moving parts at the moment. But we, we could we could see a situation where food delivery becomes a, um, a commodity and food, uh, producing food for delivery becomes quite a specialised business and that will then probably um, give rise to a situation where money can be uh, made in in various elements of that. Whether that is where what actually happens or not, I I really don't know. You could postulate that after a time of nobody making any money in delivery, that they're just going to get out of it and we the whole market will collapse that is one view uh, the other view is as i've sort of tried to said take over the whole world and make money is there somewhere in between is a question yeah and i guess as long as amazon is a part of this game as well there will be we call it trust or willingness to to invest in this 
uh, and make and try to win that game, as you say, that's going on because there is definitely a game going on between the the big ones. And and now you've seen they've gone into retail as well. It's quite interesting to see the whole delivery uh, retail. You know, order your ten groceries you're missing and having them by your door in twenty minutes. All that going on. Uh, they are making deals with big retailers, Deliveroo, Uber, and so on. Yes, and of course that may be more profitable than restaurant delivery because it is much more predictable. Uh, you're not depending on a restaurant to cook the food. All you're doing is depending on being able to go into a dark um, store and pick the stuff off the shelf. It may be inherently more profitable than restaurant delivery. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting thing and see if they, they, they will switch majority of the uh, their infrastructure towards that instead. I think that that could happen. That really could happen. Coming back uh, to to the staffing crisis, because that's the big, you know, if you, any newspaper you open, hospitality, uh, also drive the driver situation we touched on, the staffing crisis. Do you believe, Peter, that uh, this is going to continue being as big an issue as many are talking about in the in the years to come for the industry? I think years to come, no. I think, you know, ways will be worked out to get round it. Um, so it's an issue for the short to medium term. And certainly delivery drivers and supply issues are global um, issues at the moment. But I think that, you know, they will get solved. Um, and the shortage of staff in restaurants will also get solved. Um because the, these things always do. Um, so I think when we get, when we come to lap seven, we may not be talking about it anymore. And if we are, we won't do lap seven. Not yeah, because then uh, maybe all the problems are gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 one of the things I've been thinking as well is that I guess also you will have you will still have at some point there will be operators closing as well which also you know creates movement of staff from one brand to another because there will be operators that can't survive the next phase of VAT burdens other rising costs or just didn't make it or was not strong enough to make it so I guess that's one way and then I think we'll find some is around at some point the government find a way to deal with immigration because I guess there's always people looking for a job we just needs to get a bit further and i guess also we i think this is there's any positive light we become better employers because we need to raise our game to attract people in well i think all of those things are going to happen because they're all potential solutions so they will be tried out in various ways and in totality they will work because and that's the way that the certainly the restaurant industry has has coped with these problems over many many years it's that you know staff shortage is not not a new issue no and i agree it's a uh, in all the time i can remember it's been there it's probably the most severe we ever seen also because you you need to make money now and 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 then you don't have to staff and you know one of my really good uh, friends opened a new restaurant and they were only able to open three days a week not because uh, anything else than staff they just couldn't find the people they were satisfied with to to hire so they decided to open three days and do three days well and there are um quite a lot of 
uh, restaurants, uh, particularly sort of in, in Central and Southern Europe, that uh, aren't open for, uh, seven days a week, two meals a day. They may, ju- they may just be open in the evening or they may not be open on Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, you, don't, you don't need to be open when you haven't got people coming in. Um, so, and that's just a sort of decision that, that they'll be making. Yeah, you'll definitely see, I've talked with more, some independent operators saying that they will actually build their model around that because they were not making money on those days anyway. They were just open because that was the standard. That was what almost expected of them, but nobody really came and ate and nobody would actually think that that would be, you know, you, it is okay to not have open on a Monday for example, or a Tuesday, where not a lot of people go out to eat if you're especially an evening restaurant. Um, what about the, the future, Peter? We, we talked a bit about, you know, short-term, where are we now, some of the issues. We talked about what's happening, some of the, the positive things now. Is it looking positive for hospitality? We, we almost, we talked about the challenges coming up with landlord, VAT, furlough, but now there's there's also, you know, what you call the, the un unknown in the next six to 12 months what what is your thinking about the future well um i i think one 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 important time over the next six months is going to be christmas what happens over christmas my suspicion is certainly in this country it will be good it'll be a good christmas because we haven't done christmas for for two years now um so i you know i think on that score it, it will it will be quite good. However, um, you know, a, an issue could arise for those restaurants that are doing delivery. What happens when you're doing delivery? And delivery has become so important to your business that although you're not making a lot of money out of it, you're making some and it's contributing to your overheads. And then suddenly you've got a whole bunch of people coming into your restaurant and you don't have time to do the the delivery meals and then you've got disappointed customers and 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 so i think there may be issues around delivery at christmas time um but that is a very distinct period i i think if we if we take a longer term view and i don't know if your question was about the longer term but if we take a longer term view, I think um, a lot of what we're talking about will will either be solved or ways workarounds will be worked out. We'll be able to cope because that's how it works. I think one issue that will it will be interesting to observe is how things have changed um, because of COVID in ways that we don't yet know about, that they will be changes to behavior, changes of w- in ways in which um, restaurants operate or um, other out- operations operate. Uh, we just don't know. And they're made up of lots and lots of relatively small um, changes that have occurred because of COVID. So we may find that the there's a, a new set of rules emerging Initially, we won't know what they are. We won't see them, but they will become obvious over time. Um, an example of a change that I can see possibly happening is around mask wearing 
Um, we've gone through a period when most people wore masks when they went out. We're now in a situation, certainly in this country, where I, I don't know, I haven't seen any numbers and I only observed where I've been, but over half people don't wear masks. They don't wear masks in the tube. They don't wear masks when they go into a shop. Um, so there are a lot of people who are mask free or as near as damn it. And there are other people who carry on wearing a mask. Now, will those people continue to wear a mask? Will we find in 10 years time, there is a small cohort of people in the country who don't who, who carry on wearing masks, they always will. That may happen. That may then give rise to changes of in perhaps in people who feel uncomfortable um, discussing or meeting somebody who's wearing a mask. Does that change behaviours? So, you know, the, those are s s potential changes that I think we may be seeing coming out over the coming years. And we don't know what the outcomes are going to be, partly because we don't know what the issues will be. Uh, that's, that's super interesting, uh, Peter. And I agree with you because also we, I guess that many of us, and I think majority of us, is also changing our beliefs about how life should be and how I want to live life. And that also creates, you know, changing in our way as consumers and, you know, our expectations and how we conduct ourselves and what we want on specific times and so yeah, so I I don't even have an example as you say. I would, that's just normal when big events happen in history. There's a lot of un you know notable things happening, and then it creeps up over a period of time and say, well, that's just changed the game now, and we just need to to adapt to that. And that can definitely have an impact on an operator and the systems they are part of, and uh, where where people you know uh, go out and eat. Yes, um, but I you know these things that we're talking about probably won't won't appear people won't be aware that they are they're they're around but they will be aware of their impact and that will change behaviors it will change investment decisions it will change um ways of cooking food all of these things will change probably not dramatically but they will change and We'll come back in a few years' time and we'll be looking at a landscape that is miserably different from the one that we had in 2019. I, I agree. I agree. That also, I think that leads me to, to one of the, uh, the the last questions here to, and, and then we're going to finish off, uh, is that, you know, you know, from a very top line, this is a complex question, but who do you think, the, how does the winner look? What looks, What is great looking like? Uh, when it comes to being an operator, what what is it that they master in the future? These operators that's gonna be the, the winners of tomorrow. Well, don't you think it's going to be the things that are always important uh, in if we talk about the food service market, and that is looking after people, um, um, doing things well, um, looking after the money. It, it, it's those basics are going to be hugely important. But, you know, if if I was to if I was to put my finger on one thing, I think it's look after your people. Because this this is a people industry. It's about food. Sure. 
but it wouldn't work if there weren't people. So number one, um, a great a great leader, a successful business will look after its people. Yeah, and I think also you've seen the the impact some of the uh, the operators that has. I think Honestberg is a great example that what they done, the investment they made under the the pandemic and how they are coming back after that, and actually the stories they can tell are very very dominant in the the bigger picture, and the consumers are aware. Also, because the consumers also choose them, maybe because they're taking care of their their people, and then there's other things as well. I think is the the way you work and think uh, as a company, because you just need to find different ways of working around this complexity. Uh, how agile are you, and how do you leverage digital tools? I think that's going to be really, really key. I think as well. Uh, but I think if as you say, the one thing is that you can call it culture, take care of your people, is your ability to use your your people factor as the competitive edge of your brand in a way and how you lift that through in everything you do. And, and that's a complex and difficult thing to do. And it's a long-term thing. It's like a muscle you're training. It's a marathon, not a sprint. As always, Michael, you're correct. Oh, that's good to hear, Peter. Uh, I know we are disagreeing on some things, but most things we, we agree on, as I say. Is there any advice you want to leave uh, operators with? It seems like we, we gave the advice here to look after your people. Is there any other things like advice as we, we are moving from this lab to we, we, we connect again, which we, we don't have a specific time, but when we feel it's right to uh, to revisit the industry in the bigger picture? Um. Yeah, well, um, I, I would suggest have money now, um, have a plan soon, and ultimately be assured that things are going to settle down sooner or later. That's the short, medium, and long term. Yeah, that, that was some, some great advice. And the thing I, I would I would add there is that you know we we still need to unlearn some of our. Uh, understanding and knowledge about what worked in the past because that's probably not going to work in the new world so the ability to unlearn very fast and relearn but that doesn't mean that i discount knowledge or experience i'm just saying that the ability to unlearn and really move your business quickly in a new direction is going to be so key there's nothing that's going to be set in stone about how you you grow or scale your business and there's maybe new ways of scaling and growing businesses as well that's not as about buying location, location, location. I, th I think you're right. I think you're right. 95% um, of what you did before will be valid in the future, but 5% won't. And it's that 5% that's going to make the difference. And it's also the 5% that is probably most difficult to identify. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. So... Peter, thank you so much for for coming on again, and uh, we will we will do another lap uh, in some time. Let's say in a, in three to five months. Um, it's been uh, absolutely fascinating as always, Peter. So uh, I send you uh, power and energy for for your journey ahead, and uh, we will be back soon. Well, Michael, thank you very much, and and I send send you power and energy in return, and I look forward to lap three. Thank you, Peter. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you have any feedback or just want to talk, please reach out to us via LinkedIn or find our email in the show notes. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please consider letting the world know by honoring us by sharing it with your wider network. Thank you to BizSimply for supporting this episode. Check them out at bizsimply.com. Also a big thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. We hope you will get well out of the starting blocks and we send you and your team energy and power for the period ahead. Mm-hmm.